The last thing I need to do is put makeup on. And I came yeah. down, set everything up, and I thought, no, my eyes look well piggy. Oh, <laughs> I, can't, I can't be doing with that. Well, well they I've, look fine to me. I've always got eyeliner on, so I was like, oh, do you know what? I'm just going to go up and put some eyeliner on, and if I have to take it off after the recording, then I do. But Yeah, I haven't put anything on my face, is my face today. Naturally beautiful. Yo, shit face. <laughs> Morning. Morning. <laughs> That's a nice one, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I'm so excited for your story today because I don't know I don't know what it is. You've given me a, a hint of, of what it could be. And I've listened to a lot of true crime uh, yeah. stories and, and murders and all sorts, but I don't think I know this one. Yeah, I don't know. It's actually not something that I did know about, which is surprising considering the amount of true crime that mm. I've read and listened to and watched I mean not live but you know over the years uh spectated yeah don't mind me <laughs> carry on um but yeah I I actually I didn't know about this and then I started really looking into it and mm, I found it very upsetting on this one because it's my first true crime, I really wanted to get as much detail into it as I could. And as a result of what I found, I'm going to give you a trigger warning. So yeah. this episode contains a lot of detail. I'm not going to hold back with it. I'm going to tell you exactly what it is how it is everything um and if that's not something that you want to listen to you should skip this episode and the next episode cuz yeah i'm not i'm not going to hold back with it um it contains the whole story contains a lot of sexual violence graphic descriptions murder rape imprisonment and uh a lot of other horrible stuff. I would recommend that there is no one under the age of 18 that listens to this. I'm just worried that I'm going to tell the story and it's going to upset people. I mean, it will upset people, but. You've been warned. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, I didn't do it. Um, I'm just, I'm just telling the the facts. There's one bit in the story and I, I will give the detail for it, but I will try and skip over it as quickly as I can or get it done. And that bit is the murder of children, um, very small, oh. very small children. Um, in fact, not even children, babies. So what um, is this case? Oh no, it's it's just it's horrible. Yeah. So if you're not in the mood for it, guys, just yeah. come feel, back to feel it. Feel free <laughs> to uh yeah skip and if you want to come back to it another day. You're more than welcome. But I'm gonna start. I'm I'm gonna tell this story in sections um because it was really difficult to put it into chronological order, but I will give you the dates and days and things like that. So it's upon a time. <laughs> let's let's get on with it, shall we? 
so the story that I'm going to tell you is a story about two heinous people. One is called Leonard Lake and the other is Charles Ng. I'll start with Leonard Lake and he's he's where it all starts, unfortunately. Um, he was also apparently known as Leonard Hill, maybe earlier on in life, not, not so much later on. He was born on 29th of October 1945 and he was from San Francisco, California. When he was six years old, his parents separated and him and his sisters went to live with their grandparents. And he was thought of as quite a bright child, quite smart. But clearly, very early on, he had issues. Um, He kept incessantly photographing his sisters naked. So that was nice. That doesn't bode well. No. And it says that apparently, so I don't know who this was from, but apparently his grandmother encouraged it. So not a great start. This kick-started his obsession um, with pornography. And when I say obsession, I mean this this is where it all starts to really, really go downhill for the rest of the world and certainly San Francisco. He would start getting his sisters to perform sexual acts with him, on him, with each other. He started this hobby, I guess, of killing small animals like mice and rats and things and then he would dissolve them in acid oh gosh how old was he uh this this was boy before and during teenage years he finished school in 1964 he enlisted in the united states marine corps so i bet they were well chuffed to have that knob um (laughs) He served two tours of duty in the Vietnam War as a radar electronics technician. So I guess he must have been he must have been fairly smart, you know, to be able to mm-hmm. to do a role like that. But um, however, during this time, he was diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder after he apparently had and suffered a delusional breakdown. Was their term in his medical notes. He received psychotherapy and in 1971, he was medically discharged. <clears throat> they were probably looking for excuses to kick his ass out. Yeah, get out of here. He settled down in San Jose and enrolled at San Jose State University. However, he dropped out after one semester when he became obsessed with the hippie lifestyle of San Francisco. I mean, same. I would be. I love San Francisco. I don't know if you'd drop out of university for it, though. Well, you would if you're a knob. I did drop out of college. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, such knob. Moving on. So he ended up, he moved into a commune there and he got married very briefly in 1975 the marriage ended when his wife discovered that he was actually appearing in porn films 
<laughs> she was like, nope. The porn movies that he was starring in contained a lot of bondage and sadomasochism. Over the next eight years, he lived at the Greenfield Ranch, and this was a settlement that covered 5,600 acres. So that is huge. And when he was there, he met Clara Lynn Ballas, and she was nicknamed Cricket. I, I don't like her. Oh, Clara Lynn, I'm not a fan. Let's put it that way. Cricket became involved in Lake's fantasies, and she also then started appearing in some of the porn films with him. Further in the future, Lake and Cricket end up getting divorced. I wasn't able to find out when. It says that they're divorced, but then when I tried to look up when it was that they actually got divorced, it says that they they that they haven't been through any divorces. Un- unclear on that bit, but they ended up getting divorced sometime later on. However, Lake was terrified of some kind of nuclear holocaust, so he kind of became a bit of a survivalist. I mean, I get that. Same. Um, But he did kind of start taking this to a bit of a bit of a higher level. Bit of an obsession. Mm, Yeah. Um, So now I'm going to tell you a little bit about Charles Ng. And his last name is spelled N-G. Oh. So, yeah. And I was, I found that really difficult to find out how to pronounce it and I thought well I'm going to have to say his name how do I but yeah I, so I looked into it and um the correct pronunciation for the surname NG is Ing so this jerk was born on the 24th of December 1960 and he was originally from Hong Kong and so he's he was... a lot um younger than um like yeah. Yeah, so Lake was born in 1945, yeah, and Ings born in 1960. Mm. So, yeah, he was originally from Hong Kong. He was the youngest of three and he was the only son of a wealthy Hong Konger executive and his wife. Um his father really harshly disciplined Charles and uh he there was claims of you know, abuse and he would be quite physical with him. As a teenager, uh, he kind of became a bit of a troubled loner and he got expelled from several schools. At the age of 15, Ing was arrested for shoplifting. And his father was like, no, this is completely unacceptable. I'm going to ship you off to a grammar school. And unfortunately for us, Sarah, he was sent to England. So he was sent to Bentham Grammar School in North Yorkshire, England. So luckily, not right on our doorstep. Um, And it's funny how these two people would have come across each other then. I know. It's so unfortunate as well. He got sent to the grammar school in North Yorkshire, England. He was caught stealing from people at the, you know, other children at the grammar school. And he got Shipped back to Hong Kong, so um, I bet his dad was well pleased with that. I mean, you'll see, he just cannot stop himself. He can't help himself. 
but he's just not good at it either. He's not good at it because he keeps constantly getting caught, getting caught, getting <laughs> caught, shipped off here, shipped off to Hong Kong, sent to England, sent to America, all over the place. Why not sent to prison? Well, he does. So Charles then moved to the United States on a student visa in 1978. So he was only like 18 at this point. And all this had happened. He'd been sent to England. He'd been sent back to Hong Kong. Then he moved to the United States. It's crazy that you can get a visa when you've got all these like past convictions. Well, I don't know whether he was convicted or not. He got caught stealing from the grammar school. I suppose they maybe just expelled him and said, "Yeah, you know, we're going to contact you later. Your, your parents. Because he would have been like underage at that point, wouldn't mm. he? Wouldn't have even been 18 at that point. Um, so he moved to the United States on a student visa in 1978 where he intended to study biology at the College of Notre Dame in Belmont, California. And you'll be amazed by this. He dropped out after one semester. No. I know. Um, Was he called and, stealing? Uh, no, he just dropped out. However... Soon after this, he was involved in a hit and run. And this was 1979. So he was like 19 at this point. Mm. Um, and to avoid prosecution, because I mean, God forbid, uh, he enlisted in the United States Marine Corps. Oh, no. Uh huh. Um, I, th- I didn't think you could have a. Co- well, I suppose if he's doing it to avoid conviction, but I thought the Marines were a very tough, they had to pass really rigorous things to get into the marines i I don't know i don't know whether it's something to do with the fact that this was in the 70s and maybe maybe there was you know you didn't have internet and you know mobile phones and things like that maybe it wasn't as easy to pass that information on to i don't know maybe well everybody um, always said didn't they back in the day if you was naughty like oh go to the army the army will sort you out so maybe that is exactly maybe that's yeah maybe that's the thinking unfortunately less than a year after joining he was arrested by the military police for stealing automatic weapons <laughs> from the freaking marines <laughs> i mean charles then escaped custody in 1980 and made his way to Northern California, where he bumped into Leonard Lake. Shocking. You know, if like there was time machines and things like that, I'd love to go back to a yeah. point. I mean, I'd love to go back to like the Stone Age and stuff and see all the dinosaurs and yeah, whatnot. But I'd love to go back to the point where these sort of people met and just be like, no, 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 <laughs> you go that way. I know. It, yeah. But, but then saying that, that's... It's like the butterfly effect. Isn't uh-huh. it? Yeah. How, so how would like, that then change the course of? Is it going to make the whole thing worse mm-hmm. by doing that? Are they going to bump into someone else that's even worse than Lake yeah. or Ing or something? And you think, oh. or are they going to meet someone else? And then it becomes like three of them. Yeah. So, so they met. So that was, that was nice. So they shared a mobile home together in a place called Ukiah. And I did look that up, and I th- I'm pretty sh- I'm pretty confident that that's right. Ukiah. Um, in 1982, the federal authorities raided the mobile home of Charles and Leonard, 
and they seized a large stash of illegal weapons and explosives. Um, Lake was released on bond and he jumped bail and went into hiding. Charles was sent back to the Marines' custody and uh, for the Marines to sort him out. And they were like, okay, we've been looking for you. He pled guilty and took a plea deal. And he was paroled and dishonorably discharged after serving 18 months at Fort Leavenworth. After his release, he went straight back and found Lake. And uh, Leonard Lake was hiding out in a remote cabin that was owned by Clara Lynn's, his wife, Mm -hmm. her family. So he went there and they both kind of chilled at this cabin. Ing noticed that Lake had been building a structure next to this cabin and it started off where Lake was describing this structure as a uh, fallout shelter because, you remember, he was paranoid about this, you know. um, Nuclear holocaust. Yeah, that's it. Um, Yeah, so he said that he started building this uh, fallout shelter next to the next to the cabin however it wasn't just a fallout shelter it was also something that lake referred to as a dungeon and he decided that he was going to begin work on operation miranda so operation miranda was a work that he had put together that he had obsessed over for well over 20 years it was a a kind of plan mixed in with a story and these stories were there was several of them in there but they were all kind of the same story they all followed the same kind of plan and it was this woman Miranda that he had in this dungeon and she at first was captured and then she ended up falling in love with Lake and she was in love with him and she was obsessed with him and they were doing all these sort of rude stuff together (laughs) Um, and every story in this book that he had written all this down in Every story ended with Miranda dying or being killed, normally him killing her or her him injuring her so badly that eventually she dies from these injuries and then he takes her body outside and buries her. And then gets a new Miranda And then the next story. Yeah, and then there's a new Miranda that starts. <clears throat> so they're all like fantasies. Yeah. I guess aren't going to be fantasies. Real hardcore fantasies. Yeah, you know and what I fantasize about? Christy yeah, not all night sleep, <laughs> not tying people up and murdering them. I know. I fantasize about normally it's some sort of food or Harley Davidson. Yeah, those two things, or sometimes both. Sometimes riding a Harley Davidson and whilst, eating whilst eating food. Yeah. yeah, he didn't have these. Super cool fantasies. He had horrendous, brutal, murderous fantasies about someone called Miranda, which is 
Yeah. I, I mean, maybe it was just his ideal name. I don't know if it's to do with um, the the makeup of, of serial killers and things like that. But I think if I ever had intrusive thoughts like that, hmm. I'd know that they're wrong and then seek help. I think that's I'd the thing. Think. They don't think that they're wrong. But they they're do just... it in secret, though, don't they? They know that it's wrong because they don't. They do it so that they don't get caught. I don't they know think, it's wrong. No, but I don't think that they think those thoughts are wrong. I think they just think that in order for them to get what they want is going to be frowned upon by the law, but it doesn't mean they agree that... I think it's more than frowned upon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, eating a Krispy Kreme whilst riding a Harley Davidson... Is that not recommended? Is that illegal? I mean, no, if I, I go jam a Krispy Kreme up my crash helmet, then <laughs> that's not a euphemism. <laughs> no, <laughs> who's gonna know? I think it's that they see everybody else as wrong. They see the law as wrong. They see, you know, other people's views of it as unacceptable. And why should I fit in? And don't forget, he was quite into the hippie lifestyle of freedom and love and this is none of those things break the rules <laughs> absolute well honestly it's so far off of any of the you know freedom and love it's the exact opposite yes that's the opposite there's no freedom and there's no love it's a lot of hatred and imprisonment and brutality so um in this section I am going to talk to you about the victims. Um, and as I said before, I found it really hard to put all of this into chronological order. It just, it was a lot of jumping backwards and forwards, which I know I do a lot anyway, but I'm trying to keep it in some sort of order. So in this section, I've spoken about Charles Lake and I've spoken about Charles Ng. And now I'm going to talk about the people that really matter. And that's unfortunately the victims that died under the hands of these two. I nearly said a really bad word then. <laughs> Idiots. So in 19, in December 1982, we're going to talk about Donald Lake, which is Leonard Lake's brother. Mm -hmm. So... Donald was an army veteran. Uh, he was 32 years old. He lived with his mum. Donald was described as a really, really nice, gentle man. Leonard treated Donald terribly when they were growing up. He was awful to him and he referred to him as a leech. Uh, Leonard had stopped by on December 1982 and asked Donald, makes me feel really sad, this, because it's like that trust of a brother, mm. trusting, like feeling acceptance for the, like the first time, you know, like Leonard, Leonard actually wants me to do something with him. Mm -hmm. He wants me to go with him. But So Leonard stopped by and asked Donald if he wanted to go on a road trip with him up north. And oh, I, don't, I don't know, though. If your brother's been horrendous to you growing up and then all of a sudden it's like oh do you want to go on a road trip i'd probably be like nah 
I know, but it's that. I'll give that a miss, it, man. You're a bit of a knob, isn't it? Maybe he's like, finally, this will be a good opportunity for us to bond a little bit. Oh, anyway. I'm sad for Donald. Oh, I know. Unfortunately, Donald was never seen again, and his mother reported him missing, and didn't didn't do any good. Leonard resurfaced on New Year's Day in 1983 to rent a room in a house in Golden Gate Park under the name Donald Lake. So then in May 1983, so just a few months later, we're going to talk about Charles Gunner. And Charles Gunner was Leonard Lake's best friend. So, I mean, this guy has got no kind of morals. Yeah, it's just going on. If, he's, if he can kill his brother, then there's exactly. not really any. <laughs> he's take, taking his brother out and now, uh, unfortunately, he's going for, for his best friend. So Charles Gunner was 36. He, um, he was a former postman and a drama coach from uh, Morgan Hill. Um, and Gunner was Lake's best man at his wedding. So. Um, they both had a lot in common. They both really were into survival and survival skills. They both really liked uh, weapons and having weapons and uh, all of that kind of survival Holocaust kind of thing. On May 22nd, 1983, so just a few months after his brother, um, Lake invited Gunner to go on a road trip to Las Vegas and he said, you know, we'll go to Vegas, we'll go to Tahoe, that kind of thing. So Gunner said, yep, I'm up for that. Left his two daughters with a babysitter and said, you know, it won't be long. Daddy's going on a road trip. I'll be back soon. Yeah, exactly. And a couple of days later, Lake returned alone in Gunner's van and told the babysitter that Gunner had simply run off with a with a woman. And to this day, Charles Gunner has never been seen since. What happens? I just don't understand what's happening, like, or what happened back then with the police. Because if his brother has gone missing, but he was last in with Lake, and then his best friend's gone missing and he was last in with Lake, you just fucking put two and two together. <laughs> I know. So now I'm moving on to July 25th, 1984. Well, this is horrible. <clears throat> so this is. Harvey Dubbs, who is 29, Deborah Dubbs, who is 33, and little little baby Sean Dubbs, who was one. Oh. And they're also, um, they also lived in San Francisco. Harvey was selling video equipment. And in July of that year, he placed a ad in a local paper on July 25th. Deborah was on the phone. Um, she was chatting to one of her friends and the doorbell rang and she said, oh, I, I, I've got to go because there's two men who are interested in buying the video equipment that Harvey had um, advertised and I think they're here, so I better go. And she puts the phone down. Deborah, Harvey and Sean um, have never been heard from again. One of the Dubs family's neighbour saw an Asian man leaving their house on that night 
Um, the same neighbour saw an identified vehicle driving away from the Dubs apartment on July 26th, which was the day after the family had apparently sort of disappeared. Um, the neighbour attempted to follow the car, um, but she ended up losing the car in traffic. Um, there was also... A hero, though. Can you imagine that? I know. I know. I mean, I wouldn't... I honestly couldn't tell you what cars come in and out of my neighbour's house. No. I'm just not... I very rarely would look out there, so props to her. Um, there was also another report that they saw people leaving in the Dubs car. So I'm not sure which source is accurate, but mm. someone says that they saw um, an, a, a young Asian man getting into the, the dubs because they had a, a VW Beetle. But, yeah, they said they thought it was odd because they noticed that it was actually the family's car, but it wasn't the family that were getting yeah. in it and driving it off. So I think possibly that's more accurate. However, um a man identifying himself as Jim Bright called Harvey's employer shortly afterwards and said that the family have upped and moved to Washington. That was it. Harvey's employer started to question him a little bit more and say, well, you know, what do you mean? What a shit cover story. I know. Well, you by know. the way, it's not coming back. Just Yeah, you they've know. left. You don't know me, but they've asked me to call you. I mean, yeah, obviously his employer <laughs> was really suspicious because he started asking questions and saying, well, he wouldn't do that. That doesn't make sense. And, all that. and then Jim Bright. Um, AKA Jim Bright. Yeah, AKA probably Leonard Lake. Not, yeah, not Jim um, Ended the call and Harvey's employer was very suspicious. Um, a receipt of Harvey in Harvey Dubs's name was discovered um, at Lake's place later on. Um, but unfortunately, the family's remains um, have never been recovered. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I um, suppose if he's used to melting stuff in acid. Um, it's believed that the dubs were forcibly abducted from their home and murdered at the cabin. So October 1984... Randy Jacobson, 36-year-old male from San Francisco, disappeared from his house after becoming involved in a business deal with someone called Leonard Lake, 2nd of November, 1984. I'm going to talk a little bit about Paul Cosner. And Paul Cosner is a massive part of this. I, I strongly believe that things could have gone a lot better for Leonard Lake and Charles Ng if it wasn't for them doing something to Paul Costner. And the, it's the very reason, cryptic. I know. The reason for that is Paul Costner was very, very close to his sister and his sister is a badass. Oh, my God. She goes after this like you wouldn't believe, and it. She hounds the police. She contacts reporters. She turns up at crime scenes. She she is on it. She is absolutely determined to find out where Paul is. Like they were super close. So she she goes to the courts. She is harassing people at the courts. 
in the right way. Um, I mean, if it's going to get you answers, then good on you. Yeah, she just would not take no for an answer. And I do feel that a lot of people were being told by um, the authorities, by the police, by solicitors, um, it is what it is. So just pipe down and let us do what we're doing. And And she was like, absolutely fucking not. And she was like, yeah. Not going to do that. No, do you know what? I don't think I'm going to do that. I think, in fact, I'm going to take this a step up now. Thank God for her because she really, really goes at it. Um, So Paul Costner, who's 40 years old, uh, San Francisco, um, he was a car dealer and he unfortunately placed an ad in a local paper for a 1980 Honda Honda Prelude that he was selling. And he mentioned to his sister that he had a potential buyer for the Honda Prelude. Um, And she said, oh, you know, oh, that's great. What's what's he like, you know? And she said that Paul said, "Uh, yeah, he's, he's a bit weird. And she was like, oh, well. Be careful then if he's, you know, if he's, this guy's a bit of a weirdo, be careful. I mean, that conversation must absolutely haunt Oh, her. can you imagine? Hideous. Um, so, yeah, so that was that. And he said, um, I'm going to go and meet this guy. Go, We're going to go for a test drive, that kind of thing. Um, he's coming here at uh, about 7.30 tonight. Um, but he'd had a, he had a girlfriend that was soon to be like his fiance. Uh, so they were really, they were super happy, super close. And he had a sort of date night. They were going to cook dinner and they were going to watch a film together. And that was set for 8 PM that night. And he said, listen, I'll, I'll be, I'll be leaving my apartment about half seven. I'll take this guy for a test drive, this sort of thing. I'll be home by eight and then we can have our date night. However, Oh, that was the last time that anyone heard or spoke to Paul. Um, he was never seen or heard from ever again. His sister went mad when he didn't turn up for the date night with his girlfriend. Yeah, when he didn't turn up for the date night, they thought, well, that's weird. That's really unlike Paul. Um, so his sister sort of phoned him, no answer. Marilyn had said to to his sister oh, I've phoned him um several times he hasn't answered so then they started getting worried they kept phoning him kept phoning him no sign of him so they went to his apartment and knocked no sign of him it's really unlike him really really unlike him to just you know just disappear, disappear. yeah um, and they noticed that his car was gone as well, the Honda Prelude. Um, so they thought that was weird as well. Um, and his sister said that she just got this real deep worry for him because she said, you know, they'd been like besties, twins, you know, really super close their whole life. And she said he would never just not be here and not tell me where he is. It's just not something that would have ever happened. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't find him. They spoke to the landlord or landlady and said, 
we need to look in his apartment. We're worried. They got into his apartment anyway. And his sister said it was the strangest thing because the whole apartment was so clean, really clean, really neat, really tidy. And she said, what struck me, that struck me as weird, but she said, what struck me as even stranger was the fact that it had all been really well hoovered. She said, like you would get from a a hotel maid. This is not Paul. Paul is not this clean and tidy, and he would not have hoovered like that. It's just, it's just not something he was he would do and has ever done. Um, and his girlfriend said the same thing. She was like, "No, it was it was weird. It was like his whole place had been cleaned by professionals." And then his sister said, "It feels like someone's cleaned to clean something up, mm-hmm. like to hide something, to mask some kind of." bad goings on you know um so she then started getting a really bad feeling they went to the police and they said we think something's happened and the police said he needs to be missing for 48 hours standard yeah you know just go home see if you know he's probably off with some woman and they were like nah <laughs> his nah. woman's here <laughs> yeah this is his woman um yeah so they were like nah that would not have happened absolutely no way and the police were very like, eh, yeah, you know, I'm sure he'll turn up and blah, blah, blah. And in his sister's own words, she said, I've lost my bicycle. I've lost my brother. Mm-hmm. So you need to do something about it. And the police were like, well, if you if you must, if you have to, then we can file a missing persons report. And she was like, yes, please. Would you, if you must, if exactly. there's a missing person, or if I must file a missing person report, yep. then. She's, she said her her words were, if you have to. If you have to. And she was like, yes, I do. Do it now. <laughs> no, actually, no. Infuriating, <laughs> isn't it? And can you imagine, like, being like the police and then finding out what had happened? I mean. Yeah. Red-faced. What a load of... No, yeah, anyway. Yeah, so they posted a missing persons report. I will tell you more on that later. But what I can tell you is Paul was never seen or heard from again. And on June 2nd, 1985, the Honda Prelude was found at Lake's residence and when the car was examined by forensics, they found blood spatter. And that was consistent with someone sitting in the back seat and shooting someone that was in the front seat. And it would have been... That's such a cowardly thing to do. I know. I mean, it is anyways, but just he's it, just sitting in the front seat, just probably showing this guy how all the buttons in the car work and things like that and the person in the back just whips out a gun and shoots him Mm. so by the looks of it they said they couldn't they couldn't say that it was definitely Paul that had been shot someone had been shot in the back of the head in that car there were also bullet holes in the car and a utility bill a utility bill for a property owned by Clara Lynn so Lake's wife was found in Paul's car when they when they found it on June second. So I'm guessing all of these things that have been found by the from the missing people in, in their apartment were discovered when the police were onto them, mm. not just 
discovered and then gone, oh, that's strange that that's there. Yeah, I just, I think what what lets this case down, or certainly one of the ways where it lets it down, is that it's it's the missing people. It's putting the missing people and seeing, I know there's massive. A connection. Yeah, masses of missing people. But it's just, it's really annoying that this connection wasn't put put together and they've gone, mm-hmm. well, there's this person, this person, this person, this person, one after the other, and all of these similarities. But I guess that's what you want for every person that goes missing. You know, you yeah. want the police to be able to put these connections, but these connections aren't always obvious. You know, you don't you don't always find out that that's the connecting factor but it, the, the connections aren't generally obvious because especially when you've got police force that goes oh i don't really want to write a missing person's report but uh-huh. you know yeah. if you're telling me he's missing then you might as well file a missing report yeah if you have to so then, if that's that's their right. attitude to it then what's their attitude going to be to the rest of it <laughs> exactly so on april 12th and April 19th, 1985, I am going to tell you about the disappearance of Kathleen Allen and Michael Carroll. So Kathleen, who was 18 years old, and her boyfriend, Michael, who was 23, both from San Francisco. Um, However, they were living in a motel temporarily. So 10 p.m. on April the 12th, Michael told Kathleen that he had to do something and he'd be back in the morning. Nothing to worry about, just got to go and do something. I'll come back in the morning. So she was like, okay. And Michael was never seen again. A few days later, Kathleen received a call at work and the caller said that Michael might have been involved in a shooting. So Kathleen told her boss and she said, listen, I've just had this call. I've I've got to go. I've got to leave because Michael might have been shot. She grabbed her stuff and off she went. If only she hadn't. Kathleen was seen meeting a bearded man, which is Lake, in the car park of where she worked. And they saw her get in the car and drive off. And technically, she was never seen again. Although, unfortunately, we do see something of her after this but I'll speak more on that later Kathleen's last paycheck was asked to be sent to a post box you know a PO box to a town mm-hmm. near where Lake's cabin was oh that guy yeah I know so last of all last but by no means least I'm going to talk about the last four victims because unfortunately they were all together um, so this is Robin Scott Stapley, Lonnie Bond Senior, Brenda O'Connor, who was the partner of Lonnie Bond Senior, and their baby, Lonnie Bond Jr., who was only 18 months old. Oh, gosh. Lonnie Senior and Brenda absolutely hated their neighbour. Do you want to have a guess who their neighbour was? Charles Ng, Leonard Lake. Leonard Lake. They said that they used to say that he was extremely obnoxious, rude, and I like this, and demented. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You can see, see where see what they're saying. 
it's just so horrible, isn't it? Like thinking from like Brenda's point of view, she lives with a fully grown man, Robin Stapley, and her partner, Lonnie, and their little 18-month-old baby. Yeah, right. So you've got like a extremely obnoxious, rude and demented neighbour. But you'd feel safe, wouldn't you? Even if you was there by yourself, I think you still wouldn't expect that. You you wouldn't expect that that weird, horrible person living next to you is going to murder you. But yeah, they hated Leonard. They said that Lake used to constantly fire guns at his property. He was always making a lot of noise. And Brenda said that most of all, she felt really uncomfortable because Lake kept asking her to pose naked for him. Oh, I should do. (laughs) Yeah, I want to take like naked pictures of him. She said he was just really creepy and inappropriate. So one fateful day, which is April 19th, 1985, um, Lonnie Sr., Brenda's partner, decided that he was going to confront Lake. And Robin said, I'll go with you. And none of them have ever been seen again including little 18-month-old Lonnie Jr. So when police ended up investigating this and finding out what had happened and what had gone on, finding who were the victims of all of this, they went to Robin, Lonnie and Brenda's house and looked around and they said that the house was completely empty. There was nothing there. They'd taken all the furniture, all the belongings, absolutely everything. It was it was just empty, this house. Um, but unfortunately, um, they found quite a lot of blood spatter. Um, but the only place that they found the blood spatter was by um, the baby's crib. Um, and they found it on the walls and on the ceiling. And it was consistent with the fact that they were pretty pretty close to 100% certain that the baby had been bludgeoned in his crib. Oh, um, there's just no need for it, is there? Like, if you're um, going to rob someone, like, as I say, I can understand, I can't, but they, no, they kill these people because they're a witness, but that baby... No, their motive for this wasn't... Um, it wasn't really, robbery. Wasn't well. It certainly wasn't just robbery and um, identity theft. They were they were interested in Brenda. They wanted mm-hmm. they wanted Brenda. So yeah, I think their motto was. This is not a direct quote from Charles Ing, but it's it's very close. They would take their victims and they would use whatever they found useful. So if mm-hmm. they had money, they'd take that. If they had an ID that they could use and get away with, they'd use that. Um, if they had furniture, they could sell. Yeah, and if they had women, they would use that for Operation Miranda. So Lake had Robin's Robin Scott Stapley. He was actually using his ID when he was arrested and taken into custody. So... He was, I think he was using Lonnie Bond Sr.'s car um, mm-hmm. and he had Robin Scott Stapley's ID and, yeah, ridiculous. So that's that's the bit about the, uh, about the victims. When the police started their investigations on this, 
they found two videotapes. In these tapes, there is footage of Brenda and there is footage of Kathleen. Mm-hmm. And I would just like to end this episode saying that I have seen these tapes and it has disturbed me in a way that I, yeah, I I can't even begin to describe. In part two, I'm going to read you the manuscript, if you like, of of these tapes and give you a description. And I'll give as much detail and I'll say exactly what he has said and what Kathleen uh, and Brenda said. Uh, and I'll give you as much detail as, as I can. Again, if it's not something you want to hear, maybe skip part two. But in part two, I'm going to discuss the police investigation. I'm going to f- tell you what happened, what was found at the cabin, what were on these tapes, and what has happened since to the family, to Leonard Lake, to Charles Ng. That's heavy enough for one episode. Yeah. If you have enjoyed listening to our episodes, make sure you rate us and leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening. We absolutely love hearing from you guys. So you can also help support our show by donating to our Buy Me A Coffee link. We will make sure that you get a massive shout out and a big thank you in our next week's episode. You can also follow us on social media at Perplex Podcasts. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and if you want to see more videos and blooper reels, subscribe to our TikTok and YouTube channels. You can also email us your stories at perplexedpodcasts at gmail.com. And you can find all the relevant links in the episode descriptions. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.